Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm homebound. And I need you. What's the movie, Potty? Watch and I mate. miss you. Got a bang in one. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sports Detention Podcast. <laughs> How's the week been? Mate, the week has been good. Uh, we've gotten plenty of feedback. Plenty of feedback on the first podcast, mate. Do you want to hear some? I do. Yep. So uh, one of the lots of feedback we got was about your mic, and that would be a technical issue, which would fall with the producers, hence us being the producers. It falls onto us. Mate, people were saying to us on the social media threads and through passing around the office and the like. They were saying that they Water were having, well, they were having, um, having dreams with potty coming out of their left eardrum. So I, I well, mean, it's, but yes, it was a bit of a bludger on our first episode. Hence the tagline, we don't know what we're doing, but uh, we're back here for round two. So, Appreciate um, you sticking with us. That was some of the feedback, mate. Some of the feedback was potty was uh, protruding the left eardrum of most of our listeners, but uh, that, that's a... Uh, that's an engineering issue that we're we're on top of. I'm about three metres back from the mic today, so... <laughs> I don't know if it was that. I think it was just, uh, yeah, not quite set up well with the hardware, but we're getting better. At least we're trying. What's got your eye, mate? What's uh, what's the news around? Ooh, something big. Something big over the weekend. WrestleMania? WrestleMania. Huge event in America. 160,000 people when WrestleMania went Hollywood, and... One of the big main events of the weekend involved the women's championship and an Aussie, Rhea Ripley, has taken home the top prize. Re- believe it. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> Rhea Ripley, believe it or not. <laughs> okay, so it's a big title at WrestleMania, so she's taken that out, doing it well for Down Under. So no Bob Hawke, no um, you know, big um, you know, public holidays on the Monday for that. WrestleMania. That's a big deal. Well, you'd have to think so. They only have to bump it a week. Think, of it, think about the Aussies. Wouldn't that have been all right? Stay at home, watch WrestleMania. Think so. Big fan. Any any other big bouts on WrestleMania, or was that the one that sort of stood out for you? Oh, that's the one that caught my eye. They, they had um, Big Brock Lesnar taking on Omas, I believe, uh, seven foot giant, and uh, Roman Reigns taking on uh, Cody Rhodes, oh, right. son of legendary champion. Dusty Rhodes. Oh, big Dusty. Well, we're going to get it. We're going to put a handbrake on the wrestling talk, mate, because that's going to pop up a bit later. So we'll get back to that one, Looking mate. Um, that. I, I had a big week. Um, and for the listeners out there who, you know, we aren't on the know with us, we, you know, we recorded last week out of YHA in Sydney. So we'd been doing a bit of travelling. And, you know, I'm coming to the point where I think personally myself, I've, I've felt what it's like to be an endurance athlete. I drove between Coffs Harbour and Wollongong twice in one week. So I'm thinking like Ned Brockman, Susie Maroney. Steve Monaghetti. Monas, yes. Monas. Jessica Watson. Well. Jessica Watson, you know. 
I've traveled, story of perseverance. Well, I've traveled that much that you know I think if we were you know sitting around in a circle, we could share some sort of you know common ground on these things. But where would I now stand with the greats? What do you reckon? Oh, you'd have to be right up there after that sort of week. I mean, to, to Wollongong and back just once. I mean, that, that puts you in elite class. But you know, two times in what was it? Four days. Two times in four days, mate. Yeah, it was absolutely. It was in. It was, um, you know, excruciating. The uh, the fortitude that it took out of me to focus on the Pacific Highway as I was going up and down. Um, you know, one of the times was on a bus, but we won't. You know, no. won't let that get in the way. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's tough, and you know what? I just thought about you. Remember Susie Maroney swimming across the English Channel? You know, the skin was falling off. Uh, she'd, she'd, you know, gone through a lot. Ned Brockman, that was a massive effort running from Cottesloe through to Bondi. But you know, when I was driving back and I hit Taree, you know, probably around four o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, I, I was, you know, I'd hit the wall. Mm, yeah, I, but you pushed on. I mean, if your name's not on everyone's lips at the end of your awards. I'll be shocked. At the man of the year. Man of the year. Uh, look, but another thing that popped out of me too, so we've been doing a bit of travel, mate, and you were on the trip with me last week, obviously. Um, the unsung hero that I don't think it's, you know, I'd had I'd had a luggage change mid, mid-trip, so on my second down, uh, way down to Wollongong, I went for the duffel bag. The question's got to be posed, mate, is the duffel bag the unsung hero of travel luggage? Oh, I underrated it. It has to be. It, it has to be. It fits so much, yet can fit in such a small space. Absolutely. I, I couldn't believe it. I had this little uh, little carry-on luggage size with wheels and the like, and it, it, you know, in terms of wheeling it around and, and trying to make things easier, it was. I thought, you know, that's the go. But on the second trip, I went for the duffel bag, and I was like, oh, well, this is what I'll be missing out on. And what does a duffel ba- bag say about the man? I mean, you know, it tells a story, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, it says that, you know, you professional because you want to you don't want to forget things you're you know someone who's organized but you're also here to party yeah well traveled well traveled absolutely and another thing mate i'm just absolutely unloading here like a machine gun it's been a big week but um i was walking down uh down on the beach with my wife uh, on the saturday morning before one of my dear friends got married down in wollongong and she shared some information to me that absolutely blew me away and it had me really thinking and you know it had my biological mind frame ticking french bulldogs mate french bullies french bulldogs they're pretty popular yeah yeah they cost a penny they cost a penny they they can't even give birth naturally why are we keeping them around what <laughs> mate i'm telling you so that that blew me away you see them all the time it's it's the new lap dog it's the new paris hilton you know style you know let's Show us what your pet is. If you're anybody, you've got a French bulldog. Absolutely, and you and you you, you know you're breeding it specifically. But mate, they can't even give birth. What's you know, is that not telling us something? If you cannot give birth naturally, I mean, why are we why you know nat, come on natural selection? And you know I've you know been a victim of the stereotypes of natural selection growing up out of Penrith <laughs> out the riff out the riff mate that is you know the stereotypes and the questions of natural selection are slung on us you know western sydney folk very often but you know that so that i couldn't get past that one what do, what do you think about that should we keep french bulldogs around if they can't give birth well for me i think they have to stay around they've just become such a 
an iconic fashion statement in so many in so many worlds. So it's the aesthetics. The aesthetics of the bulldog are outweighing the biological I think evolution. so. It's almost a status thing, isn't it? seems that way and I mean you can't get in the way of status can you no well that's right speaking of status mate the glitz and glamour yep. the F1 in Melbourne over the weekend another big event did you catch down it down under I saw the highlights the highlights mate Verstappen he's, he's come come the goods um, it absolute carnage towards the end there uh, they thought they were going to get racing right through to the to the chequered flag but that you know Final start was just chaos, and a few a few of the players were eliminated through that. Obviously, going through for the safety through to the finish, which was a bit of a bit of a letdown for the punters. Start of their season. Start of their season. However, if we can go in a little bit into the uh, the F one, Oscar Piastri, mate. Oscar Piastri. Oscar Piastri, the Australian rookie, he's come out, and I'm telling you what, mate, he's the happiest driver in Australia to earn points over the weekend. Well. <laughs> it would have to be, wouldn't it? I, don't, I, I think you're right. Spot on. Look, if we had waited for the Grand Prix an extra week, Easter weekend, double demerits, would he have got double points? Well, I, I, if you want to be consistent across the entire state, I'd have to think so. D- double demerits, double points. Double points. So, so that's a suggestion for not only the V8 supercars, but all you know, F1 motorsports. If you're racing on a public holiday, should it be double points on offer? I think so. I think it's a must. It's a no-brainer, mate. And you know, when it t- comes to the fans, give them what they want. Give them what they want, mate. Final thing with the with the F1, and it's a real controversial question. This one, um, you've watched the the Drive to Survive, mate. You're you're a bit over the personalities in in the F1. Yep. Toto Wolf and Lewis Hamilton, do they just absolutely hate each other? I think they hate each other's guts. You you would have to think so. Like success can can seem as though and appear as though it's you know everything's smooth and cordial on the on the surface, but when I just look at those two, I just think they are two completely different positions within an F one team, and they are so driven to win, they'd have to hate each other. You'd have to hate each other, but you. What sort of a mentality do you have to be to drive those cars that fast? The, the personalities, they're that big, aren't they? So, Lewis, and when you talk about the driver's personality, but then you've got someone like Toto Wolff, who is an absolute phenomenon in business acumen, yep. He's and he's found himself as a team principal at Mercedes. You know, it's just a clash of the titans there. The, the, the psychological and egotistical titans are just clashing there. And you can tell... They don't talk much about each other, but I mean, I'm going to throw it out there. No, allegedly, in they hate each other's guts. They hate each other's guts. Lewis ha- Hamilton has form. He was he had trouble with our teammate Nicky Rosberg a few years ago as well. I think as well. Yeah, so well, I I don't think he's I don't think it's going to be all smooth sailing with George Russell for much longer. Too the young buck, he's he's pretty fired up at times as well. Bring it on. Okay, Grego. So let's move into the NRL. Let's look at the um, round wrap around uh, match of the round how did we go mate I had the um, the eels versus the chooks as my match of the round I thought it was a good game I was very very surprised at how, how well the chooks came out of the block um, and they played really tidy around the ruck the the halves looked pretty sharp and they were, they were playing those inside channels on on the eels and you know I think they were good for for their win on Thursday night um, 
However, that wasn't, it didn't turn out to be my match of the round. I look at the results, you know, the draw being back, Manly versus Newcastle was a 32-all draw, that one. And that draw is going to hurt somebody at the end of the year, I think. It's going to, yeah. um, somebody's going to miss out in the top eight position by one I would spot. say more, more likely Newcastle than Manly, mm. but it's an absolute Sapo's nightmare. They wouldn't have it over in America, the draw. The draw just can't occur. And, um, you know, the fact that American sports is, you know, gradually infiltrating the Australian sporting landscape, you know, we obviously the connection across with the NFL you know, the NBA and those sports, they're, they're coming into our land rooms often. Do we have to find alternatives for Golden Point if it does go to a draw? You know, I'm thinking maybe the good old-fashioned drop-off. Drop-off, so lose a player every minute, Absolutely. every two minutes? Yeah, and, um, you know, lowest number to highest. So, it, you know, we could potentially have a forward pack versus forward pack and well, Six aside. Well, the old school in me, the nostalgia says, now, if you play 80 minutes and you get a draw, you deserve a draw, you deserve a walk away with one point. But that's not what sport is nowadays. Sport is a business and it's an entertainment product, isn't it? So the more eyes you can put on the screen, the more exciting you can um, make the event. It's Absolutely. a win-win. Well, I mean, with the ruck speed at this current time, and we're talking about the speed of the game, I mean, it's like touch football. You try going home from a Nationals touch carnival without a drop-off to sort out a result. And there'd be anarchy, mate. They'd be, they'd be flipping cars in the car park. Oh, it'd be all over the place. Any, have you got any other suggestions? I've got the drop-off. Any other suggestions out there that you could think we could sort out uh, to avoid the draw? I mean, you could just, you know, get the two um, coaches together and have a good old-fashioned brawl in the car park, couldn't you? Well, I mean... There would, I would suspect that there'd be some coaches that would be playing for the draw if that was the case. Well, Ricky Stewart might <laughs> love a bit of a dabble if he could. Oh, very good, mate. So, um, yeah, but going back to my game of the round, I um, it was actually not in the NRL, mate. Not in the NRL? Absolutely. I, um, the, you know, the Panthers were showing class, which, you know, really tempted me because, you know, the boys played really well down there in Canberra. But my game of the round was the Battle of the Burrows over in the UK Super League. Lee versus Wigan. Now, it was an absolute cracker. In terms of a spectacle, it was a bit of a blowout there by Wigan in the end. But the atmosphere, mate, it was an old-fashioned, you know, British football stadium atmosphere. They'll, they'll tear and, you know, the, the, the roof off the, off the stadium. It was, you know, the... You know, the, the chanting, the singing, everything was happening. And then the football was, you know, that topped it off. Lee started off really well, but, you know, Wigan too strong in the end. Oh, it's great to see the Super League doing well. Were there any ex-NRL players over there doing well? Mate, Bevan French. Bevy, Bevy. Rumours about him back at Parramatta. Mate, if, if you want X-Factor, you've only got to watch his highlights from the, from the Super League, mate. Bevan French, I, I really liked it. Because, you know, Bevan French, he's gone over there. He was in and out at Parramatta. He ended up playing a bit of New South Wales Cup before taking his contract over in the in the Super League. But it shows you that there's an opportunity there for those players to earn a crust over there. Yeah, and he's yeah. a try-scoring phenomenon. Absolutely, he's, he's, and he's played really, really well. I was I was keeping a keen interest on Kai Pearce-Paul as well, so he signed with Newcastle for next year, young fella. Yep, what positions? So he plays out on the wing. Out on the wing. But... You know, the big thing for me that really, you know, spurred my interest is the fact that he's, he's London born and bred from Lewisham in London. So it's, you know, a rarity over in the UK Super League for these young, you know, 
not only British players to come out to the NRL, but a young born and bred player from London, you know, is big, you know. And, and if we're talking about growing the game and, and, you know, harnessing the potential around the world, I think, you know, giving a, giving a bit of credence to the UK is very, very important because that's where it all began. That's going to be interesting to see how he goes, taking the sport of Dominic Young. So big yeah. shoes to fill. Well, where'd Dominic Young go? He's off to the Chooks. Because they are 40. Oh, <laughs> might slip just I'll, in I'll, under the I'll, sombrero. I'll leave that there. <laughs> um, what about your prediction, mate? My prediction, Sharks versus Warriors. Now, I felt a few people out there might have thought that was a little bit of a strange pick when I originally selected. And I was one of those after 20 minutes with the Sharkies up 20 to nil. But the Warriors came home in exceptional fashion and took, and took the game by the scruff of the neck. And uh, got the win. A Sean Johnson goal uh, not long before the end of play uh, sealed it for him. And so it, it led me to start thinking about the Warriors and how they've gone over the first five or six rounds and whether this is a new dawn, a new change. Because mm. I've never seen Sean Johnson play this controlled. I've seen him play some exceptional football, but I've never seen him He's play with this ball. sort of control. So I was wondering whether the signing of the year is in fact not a player, but it's a coach. Andrew Webster. Could be, mate. He was um, obviously a very handy assistant uh, coming out of Penrith. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's always a, a really good indication of your club when your assistants are getting snapped up like they were out of Penrith. You know, Cameron Seraldo um, and An Andrew Webster obviously getting uh, from the team last year. Trent Barrett previously, Garth Brennan, we could, the list goes on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the signs are good when... Someone says to you, how good's Andrew Webster going as a coach? And you go, oh, is he coaching over there? And they're doing well. Yeah. You know, so it really shows that, you know, the head down, the backside up, and the graft is on. And the Warriors are looking very, very good to start the season. And hopefully, you know, with the, with the help of a good run of injuries or a good run for preventing injuries, they can maintain that, that form. Because for a long time, many have seen them as the sleeping giants. There's so much potential over there. So oh, absolutely, and I and I think the the loss of the the under twenties comp, the you know the fact that those young players who were who were drawn to play for the Warriors mm. for the exposure that the under twenties provided, that was a real loss for them. Mm. And then COVID, of obviously, course. yeah, COVID the last yeah. few years hasn't helped. Yeah, so uh, I mean the yeah, I'll be interesting. I'm very very impressed with Sean Johnson, as you said, mate. Um, I I couldn't agree more on that. Uh, and Andrew Webster, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he sits at the end of the year. Early days, but Absolutely. all sunny skies look like they're ahead for the Warriors. Yeah, so uh, talking of the Sharks, mate, some big news out of the Sharks last week. And, you know, I saw the headlines and I went, okay, there's got to be more to this, but is he serious? Anyway, Nico Hines asking for a 20-year deal. Now, I've 20 got the, years? I've got the statement here, okay, because it's only fair that we, we, we give it its... It's due. Uh, so he's speaking on the SEN network, Hines said, I just hope something happens and it gets done. My manager will sort that out and the club will sort that out. So hopefully they're talking as we speak because I'd love to stay, then hopefully I'm here forever. Ideally, I'd love to be here for the rest of my career and I'd go straight into coaching, give me a 20-year contract, Sharks. Okay, so the headline comes out that he's asked for a 20-year deal. That statement tells me a complete different story. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, he's the player of the competition at the moment, isn't he? He's come back from injury, a calf injury, and he's uh, set, the, set the field on fire. 
20 years is a long time, surely not as a player. I mean, his mum might get to see him play when she gets oh, out. Oh, mate, that's... Oh, that's... A, it's not, not untrue. <laughs> but, you know what? Signing someone up for a 20-year deal, I mean, it just can't happen, can it? I mean, where does it lead to success when you sign people up to long-term deals like that? I mean, continue coaching. I mean, is... He even a good coach? Just because a player's a good player doesn't mean they're a good coach. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but for I'm, him, jump all over it. Security. Yeah. So he's basically he's you know, the statement's pretty clear. He's basically saying that come on, you know, sign me up. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be here long term. You know, twenty years throwing a throwing a pretty broad number out there. Um, in terms of long term contracts, though, you know, there, there is this a bit of a pattern. Um, some examples of long-term contracts. So Taumalolo, he got the ten years. Ten got years. The ten years. Million a season. Million a season. Million a season. I think yep. it was unheard of before. Cherry Evans got his eight years. Dylan Brown's got his two-year deal with a six-year option. So that's a weird one, isn't it? I let me go into that one. So I think the Dylan Brown one is you know it looks weird on the surface of it because you go well eight years that's a long time think about both playmakers at Parramatta so Mitchell Moses is off contract in the same season that Dylan Brown's off contract this two-year deal six-year option to me just says look let's get him two years guarantee give him some the money that he wants at least then after that two years we can play around with what cap space we've got what the cap's doing he's got the six-year option so he's happy to go with that, but then we can renegotiate after two years, and we're not worrying about renegotiating both our gun halves in the same season because that's an absolute nightmare for a club. And we've seen how it's gone for Parramatta over the last um, six months. They've been struggling to sign both Moses and Brown. My question is, though, he where's the advantage in it for Parramatta from the point of view of what if he's not playing well? Yeah, so the, I mean, the advantage of it is, is the fact that they get these two star playmakers separated within their contract space because they've got to do that because you don't want to be coming in giving no. them both four-year deals in four years time we're doing the same thing so they've given him the the comfort of two years guarantee he's got the the bonus of six years in his favor i think Parramatta, you know when they go to the negotiation table they're going oh well, we think he's going to you know be the player that we suspect that we're willing to offer so I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's as dire straits. When we talk about the Taumalolo ten year deal and the Cherry Evans deal, I think they're very very different. The Cherry Evans deal is the fact that he was signed, sold, and delivered to the Titans. So that was the eight years. We'll get you in. We'll give you what you want. Manly at the time couldn't afford to lose Cherry Evans. It was it was a nightmare if they lost him. The, the they club, just lost Kieran Foran. They, the the club were in trouble, so it was a desperation play to keep Cherry Evans. It probably hasn't been too bad. However, the flip side of that, you got Tao Malolo. JT's just retired. Your gun forwards come in. Here, this kid's you know the hottest property in town. Sign him up long term, ten year deal. We can't lose him. We've got to build the squad around this guy. And basically, a few years down the track, we're looking at Tao Malolo and we're going. Hold on a second. Is that value for money at all? Like he's Todd Payton. He's not. Doesn't appear as though at times he's Todd Payton's cup of tea. Well, it's a fair enough call, and I'd even question whether Cherry Evans has been value at one point three million dollars. I get it. He's been a great player. He's played for Queensland. He played for Australia. He may have even been the Australian captain for a, a test or two there, mm. post boy corner. But 
at the end of the day, when you pay $1.3 million for a halfback, what are you expecting during the length of that eight-year contract? Yeah. You're expecting I, a premiership, aren't you? Well, you are. Yeah, but you've got, to, you've got to build the cattle around someone like Cherry Evans, and it's been very, very hard due to the, the situation Manly have been in. Um, going back to Tal Malolo, mate, um, value for money. So, so that decision the Cowboys made at the time to give him a 10-year deal, when you compare that to the players who have come through, the first one, Kickout. Kickout was on the books at that time at the Cowboys. Yep. Before he went down to Penrith, he was in the under twenties. So you miss out on Kickout. There's, you know, Kickout's not hitting a million a season, but you know he's pushing up there. He's made his way to that with two premierships under his belt at Penrith. Kaloa Matangi, you know, playing at South on the edge. We're talking edge back rowers. Yep. You know, Kickout Kaloa Matangi. I'm thinking value for money. Pooh. You know, those 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 guys are the you know the two premier edge runners in the, in the game at the moment. And they were both of the Cowboys. They weren't at the Cowboys, Kalama oh, wasn't, but no. if we're comparing yep. the cost of the player, and yep. since Malolo has been cashing in that, that 10-year deal and yep. those checks, you know, you look at that. In the middle, if we go to middle forwards, because that's where, in fairness to Malolo, that's where he's playing, Cameron Murray, Isaiah Yo, Payne Haas. You know, we're looking at these players who have come through since the Cowboys were desperately trying to keep Malolo. You know, I'd have to think if you're looking at that, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing, but you're going, oh, you know, it's a big decision for a club to make. Oh, well, it was a huge decision. I remember it being made at the time, and he was the best forward in the game at the time, or well, one of the best middles in the oh, game. Oh, yeah, he, absolutely. He was, he was an absolute beast. And he's not bad now by any stretch. But I remember hearing about the contract at the time, and even though he was the best, I was still, ooh, that is a lot of money. I mean, I know they're probably taking into account that the salary cap is going to go up and therefore a million dollars on your salary cap that is now is not going to be as painful in five or six years' time. But how's his form going to be in... Because I think he's still got seven years left on this deal. Yeah. So it's And I, and I think what Todd Payton appears to want from Jason Taumalolo has been an adjustment for him. You know, he was a under Paul Green. He was a strike forward who played in the middle with the 13 on his back and was just an impact where Todd Payton wants rigorous work rate he wants strong defense and he wants you to punch through you look at someone like Reuben Cotter who's flourished under Todd Payton he's given you everything that Todd Payton wants in a middle forward that's right and probably at a fraction of the cost as well at the moment at the moment he'll come up big okay something else in the news this week Grego the walls closing in on Justin Pascoe. Oh, mate. What is happening out at Tiger Town at the moment? Justin, Justin Pascoe, CEO? Look, I'll be fair to Mr. Pascoe. I think a lot of this is a product of where the Tigers are at at the moment. And How where they've been at for a long time. Yeah, they have been at it for a long time. However, I, my analysis will start at the tails of Tiger Town. You know, when they went through that documentary, it was very, very clear that it was really, should have been the tales of JP, Justin Pascoe, because it was built around him. You know, the idea, yes, they tried to market the club and it was trying to break new ground in terms of a, a behind-the-scenes documentary series for the club and promote the club. But at the end of the day, he put himself in front of the camera more than most, you know, and which was weird because you're a CEO, you know what I mean? Um, however, likes the fanfare. Yeah, it appears so. Yeah. 
But, but however, you know, the fact that the Tigers are doing so poorly at the moment, everything is just rolling down the hill and, you know, it's the snowball that's catching snow, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger and really the walls are closing in. So, you know, on the weekend, and you can see it on our Instagram page, um, the sports detention, Justin Pascoe's been found out the front with the team warming up. He reckons two hours before the game, but he's in tracksuit. He's got the joggers on. He's got a footy. You're a CEO champ. What are you doing? Leave that to the coaches. <laughs> leave, <laughs> leave that to the trainers. So, so when you start to do things like that, like Justin Pascoe has done, he's put himself out there in the documentary. He's, a, you know, he's come in and say, I'm a different type of operator and the like. He's then pictured in the dressing sheds at half on Tinder. He's swiping right. He's at the back on his phone. So everyone's <laughs> jumped on that. You know, he's been, you know, his actions before the game have been likened to the fact that, you know, it's like the coach of the under eights Division 5 stepping in at halfback on Thursday night and going for the captain's run and just going, oh, hold on, just step to the side, little Timmy. I'm going to run this one. You know, it's it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it... It was a bad look, that's for sure. Uh, being out on the field, being on his phone, um, you know, the Penrith CEO doing those sort of things uh, probably doesn't make the papers. Well, he was he was at Penrith beforehand, and, and it gets even weirder because he, he claims that they sacked him at Penrith uh, after he built the empire. Well, they they, they did. There's a complete dispute of the fact that Penrith are saying no, no, he was he took up the job as CEO at the Tigers, and Pascoe's going no, they sacked me. It's, it's so dumb. I, oh. I don't know. So, but anyway, is he the closest thing to the real Michael Scott? <laughs> that's got to be... That's where, basically, I, I could go through a highlights clip of The Office and watch Michael Scott and I'll go, oh, that might be like what it is working in Balmain's leagues at the moment with Justin Pascoe walking through. And I just feel for the long-suffering Tigers fans, they've... On the field, off the field, it's just been an absolute debacle. And I don't... I don't know when it's going to change they, for them in the long term. And, they, and this is what happens. The pylon is, and it's because when you, you know, and his idea, I'm assuming from Justin Pascoe's position, he's like, well, I'm different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a new type of CEO. But one thing you've got to do if you're going to be different is be successful. Because if you're not, then it's going to pile on. I like a bit of research, mate. You know that I'm, I'm very thorough. thorough in my... Uh, approach to this so Justin Pascoe mate and he talked about it a bit in the uh, in the Tales of Tiger Town he talked about his experience working in major league sports over in the the US he talked about his experience with the sporting landscape and what he does and what he can bring to the Tigers so I did a bit of research Harvard Business School graduate pretty good he then sold tyres for Pirelli I mean you know, everyone needs tyres. That's right. I mean, especially fast tyres. That'd help in a football department, I'd say. He did dabble in sport with the Western Bulldogs, but he was working in sales, so he was in the marketing area. So I, I, it becomes very apparent that that's his strength. His strength is sales and the marketing. He worked for Ultra Pro Licensing, so in the US. So when he talked about his engagement with major leagues, he was selling baseball cards. He was selling Pokemon cards for Ultra Pro and merchandise and licensing and working on the contracts of licensing with the major leagues. So that's very, very different to running a football team. 
Are you suggesting he's taken some liberties on his resume? I'm suggesting that maybe he didn't get reference checked on the CV, mate. <laughs> but anyway, he's come back. And, you know, it's not to say that he can't do a good job. And there's a position for him within professional sports, especially at an NRL club. That's, that's not the claim at all for me. You know, he came back. He was with the Panthers group in the leagues area with the football department before taking the job at the Tigers and claiming the Penrith sacked him, which I, I still don't get. But the fact that the matter is, is him being different and him running his own race in a different way, that's okay. You know, but you've got to be successful. And are you the most, you know, are you the best operator for the football department or have you bought in Tim Sheens to try and do the job that you're going to struggle with and it's now leading into this absolute shit show that is the Tigers? And there is no answer to that question because it has just been debacle after debacle. On Tim Sheens, was he the right person to come into the club? Was he the right person to uh, follow Madge? Well... He'd been working in a in football management. He has, but he hasn't coached for ten years. That's has exactly he? right. So he's coming to to be a coach before Benji takes over. Oh, and, and that Benji's going to be a first grade coach within two years because that's what they've come out and said. Mm. I, I just don't see uh, I don't mm. see a lot of fun times ahead for Tigers supporters. You know, it's gotten worse though. It's gotten worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Enzac jersey debacle. Oh. So it's an absolute, that's what I'm saying, it's an absolute pylon. So they've released their uh, Anzac jersey, mate, and I'll get the image up for you. So listeners here, we're, we're just going through it um, on the uh, on the images here. So we can see it's a nice um, nice black V tiger strip, but it's got the uh, military personnel uh, down the bottom. However, it hasn't taken, um, you know, anyone with serious knowledge of the gaming community and Call of Duty to know that this was actually a stock image of American military personnel that's been slapped on an Anzac jersey. So it's just at the worst possible time. Is that not just lazy? Cross your T's, dot your I's, get it right, because people have just picked this like a dirty nose and gone, oh, another thing. And people are looking at the Tigers at the Absolutely. moment. Absolutely, they're willing to kick them down the road, and they're, they're letting them do that. I I think there's got to be more than this. So the, the Tigers have brought out a statement, okay, and uh, they've mentioned that uh, in their statement. They, uh, they believe that uh, they've worked with the, the Holsworthy Army Barracks in Sydney to create the design and they've had the Anzac elements approved. However, they've used a stock image from American military personnel. I don't get this because, I mean, yes, we worked with the Holsworthy Army Barracks. I mean, so what? What did you go and speak to Gail on the front desk and go, hey, Gail, what do you reckon about this picture? And she goes, yeah, that's a beaut. Is there some sort of official (laughs) approval process or? and I think when I think the big miss here and where it gets absolutely blown out is because this is a very, very important thing for Australians and especially for those in New Zealand as well. Anzac Day is massive. and when It's you, a big day on our calendar. Yeah, and rugby league's always played a pretty prominent role, certainly since I've been watching it the last 30 years. So and it's yet, not one you want to miss. And you get these things wrong. We're in an absolute 
you know, toxic environment where these things just get absolutely, you know, blown up. And, and they get made look a lot worse than what they are. You know, is it a miss? Absolutely. But also too, I would question in fairness to Tigers, uh, the Tigers, sorry, I'd question where Steeden sits with this. You know, because Steeden are the, they're the, you know, the kit suppliers. And for a lot of people out there who don't realise or are uncertain fans of the like on how kit supply deals work is Steeden would pay the Tigers a licensing fee and then Steeden makes the money on the jerseys. I'm going to put it out there. That's my knowledge of how it works, especially in the UK Premier League and in, in you know, most of the sporting deals. So why Nike pays a massive proportion to the NFL is because they get the licensing of all the jerseys and then Nike pays the fee, but Nike makes all the money on the jerseys that get sold week in, week out. So all the apparel that's sold, they make the money on. So I can't see how Steeden produces this without it going across their, de- their, their desk as well. Yeah, well, certainly I don't think they're, with the publicity at the moment, sales are gonna be down. So I'd imagine they're not gonna be real happy about it. So the, I, I think you're right, the question has to be asked, who has dropped this ball? Absolutely. And is it multiple people fumbling the balls? Yeah, and talking about balls, is, you know, if we're talking about fumbling balls too, is is it really that big of a fumble or is it just an absolute pile-on at the Tigers at a shit time for the club? Yeah, well, I think it is a, a bit of a pile-on. I Again, going back to my example of Penrith, I think if the same mistake was made over at Penrith, perhaps the pile-on wouldn't be as significant, although Penrith have been copping a little bit of flack um, lately for their apparent lack of, I guess you'd call it, respect on... Uh, on the field towards other teammates, oh, yeah. which is... Yeah, you, I mean, you've got to let people score tries. Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and that's, I suppose that's that's more on the tall poppy end of, of, yeah, of the scale, of you know. you know, Unfortunately, here in Australia, we, we don't you know, do the greatest job of, of recognising good winners, you know, or people who are successful. Well, if you take a look at uh, American sport, the NFL, for instance... They are far more open as far as celebrating that sort of behaviour is concerned. They love it. Yeah. So what about your, your man, Bailey Simonson, mate? Simo? Yeah. So he's come out and, I, I mean, was it a dog shot? No dog shot for me. Look, he's got it wrong. He's hit him in the head and uh, I think he's got a two-week suspension and, and that's about what he deserves. He got a head knock though as well, didn't he? Bailey? Yeah. Uh, was there a head clash at the same time? I was time? looking at, I don't know, I'll have to have a look. I was looking at the injury list, and I think he's out for a couple of weeks with a head knock anyway. Well, I don't know whether, whether Brad Arthur's knocked him in the head <laughs> after or when he got in the dressing sheds for, for uh, causing the, the grief of a, of a Tedesco-raged uh, Roosters fans outside, but I don't know. Well, I guess that um, begs the question, if someone is out with an injury, should they be able to serve the suspension at the same time? But well, we could go down a rabbit oh, hole with that mate, one, couldn't oh, we? Far out. I'll have to think about that one. That's, well, uh, that's next week's thesis. I'm going to throw something even bigger at you. Go at on, Joe. Yeah, hit me. We all know head knocks have been huge over the last oh, 10 years. Yep. Concussion. Uh, all this research has come out about about the long-term effects. We still don't really know what these long-term CTA. effects are. But it's, um, it's huge. And the NRL has really kicked it up a gear this year. They brought in the 11-down um, compulsory stand-down policy for anyone who is 
gets a concussion, a grade one is which is normal. Concussion, which yeah, is boxing's been doing it for years. Yep, and the NRL's finally got on board with it. Yep. and it's all about protecting um, protecting our players. And another way they go about protecting the players is they suspend the players who um, commit the act of foul play, and that's not a new thing. But I've got to ask you, do you think some of the onus should fall on the player carrying the ball? But can you can you say that again, mate? Do you <laughs> think you some of the home? onus <laughs> needs to fall on the player carrying the ball? This, mate, this is the good old fashioned he's head butted his elbow. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? So you're saying that Tedesco's got his head in the wrong sp- place as, as Simonson's come in to make a completely clean tackle around his forehead. Hey, it, it, it's not about punishment. <laughs> it's not about punishment. I'm not suggesting even for a moment that Teddy should cop a six-week suspension for throwing his head at Bailey Simonson's shoulder. I'm not suggesting that. All I'm saying is that Teddy has been... Well, he, he's one of the greatest players in the game and has been for the last five years or so, perhaps only second, in my opinion, to Nathan Cleary. And he's copped several concussions. And I'm noticing a trend where a couple of times these concussions have happened where he is digging in at the line and gets in bravely as close as he can to the players and then throws uh, and then throws his pass, opening up space for the people on the outside. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's the, the risk of taking the line on any good ball player understands that risk and the best ones are the ones who take and put it right to the edge you think of like Cody Walker that's right and JT was a champion at that he ran right to the line and copper hit in the back of the ribs both got loved but what I've noticed is a lot of the players who do this your Pappenhausens but your Teddy Mm. in particular just as they get there probably as a reflex I say I imagine because I'm not quite as fast as Teddy you wouldn't believe but he throws the past and then sort of releases his legs as you if you will, and drops a little bit. Yeah. And that probably makes the impact of that. So you're suggesting it's a dive? <laughs> is, is the dive creeping its way into the NRL? Obviously. I mean, because it's an absolute cancer in soccer. Well, it is dive. a cancer in yeah. soccer. Some of the blood leads me to suggest that perhaps it isn't a dive, but I would go as far to say maybe the NRL needs to consider introducing some kind of a... I don't know, a player education, a discussion with players at least. Hey, Teddy. <laughs> player, player, player education. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you on this one. Keep going, keep going. For, for the safety of the players, you've got to stop dropping when you hit the yeah. line, Teddy. You've got to stop losing your feet. You keep getting hit in the head. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm the... Com- I'm not completely saying that the, the attacking players aren't, you know playing for things like like a high contact especially when the high contact is appears to be so cut and dry but I mean I'm still stuck on the you know the legs getting taken out the player falling catching an arm and players sending time spending time in the bin you know that that drives me nuts I started my research last night unfortunately um, the the kids were a bit crook so it, it really you know chewed into my ability to go deep into this hole how many of the concussions are we seeing are a result of the defending player, though? You know, because I, I think it, you know, from, and this is complete bro science, and, you know, just my mind's eye drifting back, I think the majority of the players who are coming out with serious concussions and are being knocked out are the ones who are engaging in the contact, whether it's head contact up high, 
get contact with the hip, getting the head in the wrong spot. So I don't know whether the amount of concussions are on the attacking end that it is. it appears. You know, it appears as though the rules are being adjusted to address foul play, which is taking out the head of the opponent. Whereas I think if you looked at and you dived into the prevalence of the concussions and how they occur, it's often, you know, the defender trying to make a tackle. And it goes back to the line speed, the, the ruck speed. You know, if you're trying to slow down the ruck, you need to make a dominant tackle. In the NRL, you're not rewarded for a legs tackle. So where do you have to hit? You have to hit dominant around the hips, or you need to go up high and be dominant. Head clashes, head hitting the hips, getting in the wrong spot, defenders getting concussed. I think you're right, and I think we don't really notice that as much because they're not the ones that make the headlines. Yeah. There was James Tedesco the only player who received a concussion over the weekend? I think if you ask Roosters fans, they'd say yes. That's right. That's because, well, because they didn't watch any of the other football. <laughs> and they certainly didn't watch it live. <laughs> but they... Um, we, we don't... Teddy took all the headlines. Yeah. And so, therefore, he... Uh, we didn't hear about the incidents that you're talking about. But, yeah, definitely something that the NRL could look at. I think rewarding a good old-fashioned legs tackle, uh, yeah. allowing them to lay on the player a little bit longer is something that should be brought back in. But something that could be. It could be at least explored. You know, and we like, we know the NRL are good at exploring things. Certainly exploring explore things. things. So, mate, we better power through, mate. The draw for this week... Um, you know, matches that are going ahead. We've got the Storm Brewsters, Dogs Rabbits, Cowboys Dolphins, Panthers Manly, the Broncos versus the Viking Clap, uh, Titans Dragons, Newcastle Warriors. Um, that's a replay of, of round one, I, I am led to believe. And the Power and the Tigers. The Sharks have the bye. Good luck to them. Yeah, good luck. Um, who, what's your match of the round, Legend? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Para vs Tigers. I'm a big Parramatta fan, as we've discussed on the show last week. But Easter Monday, Monday something special about Easter Monday for me. I love watching uh, Para go out there against the West Tigers. I think it will be a, a quite a good match. I think we'll learn something about Parramatta this week because they've had a really tough draw to start the year. They've lost four out of five matches. And... There's been a lot of talk about the fact that oh, once the draw starts to get a little bit better for them, Parramatta will be back on track. Well, we'll get to see it this week because they've got the West Tigers who are battling, to say the least. But they did beat them in the same fixture this time last year and it was a pretty similar situation. So, so I, I feel as though I, you know, and all the listeners know that you're a diehard Parramatta man. I feel as though I've just listened to you explain how difficult it's going to be to get the easiest two points for your team all season. <laughs> That's the nervous Parramatta fan coming out of me. You've basically just sat there. You've talked me into thinking the Tigers have got a chance it's going to be a cracking game. Other than the fact that it's a public holiday on Monday oh. and the game's on Easter Monday, oh. I, I think the I think Parra are sure things. Well, mate, I, I definitely think they should be. But one thing they have been over Brad Arthur's tenure, tenure at the club is they've been a little bit inconsistent as far as nailing those matches that they should win. Yeah, they're, they're the ones you worry about as a fan. Sometimes that's where it can go wrong. And, um, you know, the fact that, um, you know, after the, the form in the warm-up last week, Justin Pascoe will be lining up at fullback. Um, <laughs> it could possibly be, um, you know, the X factor 
that the tigers get rather than the eels are ser- the X factor the eels are searching for. So, so you're saying the first ever captain, coach, CEO. Absolutely, yeah. You wouldn't even see that in bush footy, mate. But we're going, uh, you know, CEO, captain, coach, Justin Pascoe. Um, you know, he wanted to be a trailblazer, as I said, and there's, there's no better uh, trail to blaze than uh, doing that. First try scorer? Justin Pascal. Well, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> what about yours, mate? What's mate, um tip, what's the game of the round? Look, I, I don't know if this is uh, Panthers manly. So we've both gone for our teams. Um, as a as a Panthers man, um, the reason why I picked this one is I I think if you know if you looked at the the teams on paper um, and just looked at the list, you'd go Storms Roosters. You know, there's a reason why that's on Thursday night. It appears to be the marquee matchup of the week. Um, Rabbitohs and Dogs will be a, a big game, you know, because two Sydney teams on Easter weekend, you know, should be a big crowd there. Um, but the reason why I've picked Panthers and Manly as my game of the week is because I don't think we know where both these teams are at quite yet. And I think this this game will be a good indicator and a bit of a yardstick on where those teams are at. Oh, so I think it'll be a, a good indicator of where Manly are at. I think I know exactly where Penrith are at. Oh. For me, you beat Penrith. The, the team who wins the comp this year are the team that beats Penrith. They're, they've lost two games, both by one point. Both could have gone either way. Yes, they're probably not the where they were this time last year and they managed to maintain, but yeah, it should be a cracking game. And it wouldn't be like a Parramatta fan to put the kiss of death on Penrith either. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. Mate, um, Pick, yeah, so, like a nose. so Pan- Panthers are manly for me. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll tune in next week and see how that goes. All right, so let's move on to our next segment. Uh, stream of the week. What do you got for us, Gregor? Mate, as you could see on the Instagram page and on the socials, um, my review is on Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear, the party bear, as you, uh, you aforementioned last week. Um, so a bit of a... Bit of a review on Cocaine Bear. I was pleasantly surprised, mate. I thought it was going to be some sort of stitch-up, uh, cheap Sharknado type, type movie, but it was actually pretty good. Um, it was loosely covering a true story, as you mentioned, um, that occurred in 1985. It involved an ex-military and federal narcotics agent, Andrew C. Thornton II, very much in uh, the American Made style, Tom Cruise working both sides sort of guy. Great um, movie. So he'd become a smuggler himself, transporting cocaine from Colombia to the US, US. and um, he was dropping off some you know, goods. We'll call it goods, um, and they were actually in duffel bags too. So how good is that? As I said, the the unsung hero of travel luggage. Um, you can get bricks of coke in a duffel bag as well, apparently. Check. Check, yeah. So uh, another another tick to the box. The Chattahoochee National Park is where it, it was where this, uh, this, uh, these goods and these, uh, these quantities of cocaine were found. And a black bear known as Cokie the Bear or Pablo Esky Bear <laughs> by the locals. Um, so that's the, real, that's, that's the real story about it. it it's, and it's, it's, it's absolutely hilarious. So they, they actually have news footage from 1985 with this bear who's ingested 34 kilos of coke and it's ended up, you know, splayed out and, you know, this fella, so he's jumped from an aeroplane, he's knocked his noggin in the movie, he knocks his noggin on the plane, his parachute hasn't come open and he's just landed in someone's backyard. So that's where it's all about. And then they found all the rest of his goods uh, in the guts of a bear in the Chattahoochee National Park. 
So that's the uh, that's the plot to the movie. Um, however, this one's a bit of a bit of a comedy spin on that, where where Sid, David, and Eddie are going to search for the missing product. So Sid is the local local drug connection, and that's uh, that's played by our old mate Ray Liotta, rest his soul. Um, last the, performance. Yeah, so last performance. He sends David and Eddie. Eddie's his son, and Eddie's just recently lost his wife, and um, he's in mourning, and um, Eddie's Eddie's doing it pretty tough, but. Um, there's two. There's three sort of subplots to it. So, so there's Sid, David, and Evie, and then there's a, a schoolgirl, a young primary school girl, uh, Dee Dee, and her friend Henry, who jig school, and they go out for a walk in the in the uh, national park and find themselves uh, dabbling in Columbia's finest as well. So they're probably about eight years old. So it's yeah, it's uh, it's probably not one for the family. And then there's Ranger Liz and the Duchamps gang. So Ranger Liz is she plays uh, yeah the the comedic ranger role who's trying to uh, you know get a bit uh, frisky with one of the local uh, tree and bird watchers. And the Duchamps gang they're a, they're a bunch of uh, young knockabouts who are who are causing havoc around the around the forest. But anyway, so. It goes into that, and the subplots. the 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 cinematography is pretty good. You know, there's um, it's pretty gruesome, which is um, yeah, it's it's quite fun to watch. But um, I I won't go too much into the into the spoiler of that. But it's um, yeah, it's very. So rather than being a strict comedy film, it's more like a Tarantino esque subplot. You know, blood and gore, hilarious. But out of ten, mate, I'm giving it a six two. Cocaine bear. Give it a watch. Give it a watch. But you'll have to actually, and I, I better jump in on that, you have to actually go to the movies for it. I've set it up as a stream of the week and then I've double-checked and I had to go to the movies and get myself a chop top to watch it. So, See, I swear I saw it pop up on Netflix a few weeks ago, so it must, must have been just an ad Stitch or something. Up, mate. Yeah, just an ad. And they've so anyway, I mean... I'm, That's how they get you. I'm, I'm partial to a chop top, mate, so it doesn't take much to get me in there. Oh. What about yourself, mate? You had full swing the golf. How'd that go? Oh, fantastic. Love full swing. Uh, great insight into the world of golf. Uh, particularly interesting to watch Justin Thomas and his historic come from behind win at the PGA Championship last year. Mm. The first episode looked at how he was really battling this time 12 months ago. And it was following him and it was following Jordan Spieth because... For those who don't know out there, they're great mates, been playing golf together all their life. And it was talking about how they were uh, progressing throughout the season and the fact that it had been five years since uh, Justin Thomas had won a major. And he wasn't feeling like he was going to be able to get there this year. He was really battling. And uh, it actually followed him when he was interviewing him as he was going through and uh, he won that major championship, which was, it, it was fantastic insight. Another episode really liked followed uh, rookie Mito Pereira as he joined uh, the PGA. And you get to see it from another perspective. Former world number one, Justin Thomas, Hmm. doing quite well as far as the financials are concerned. And then you've got Mito, who's followed a non-traditional route to come into the um, uh, PGA. And uh, so he's a bit older. He's about 26, 27 and uh, the battles that he sort of goes through as far as keeping his PGA card. So, so different players, different episodes? Different players, yeah, different similar, episodes. Similar Drive to Survive, where they sort of set it up with different teams and different situations. Is that how it goes? Yeah, and they, they did really well as they were following through it as well because the amount of um, players they picked that were featuring heavily 
in the, the major tournaments yeah. was um, was spectacular. And uh, obviously with uh, Liv uh, emerging last year, yeah. Liv Golf, uh, and there's a bit of, uh, well, a lot with the Masters coming up next week, uh, a lot of news on, uh, which I'll let you touch on in a moment. Yeah, we'll get into that. But, um, yeah, so the, that developing and how that sort of impacted the PGA Tour and the certain golfers' opinions on that, that was yeah. really interesting to follow. I gave it an 8 out of 10. 8 uh, out of 10, that's yeah. a good score, mate. Yeah. Probably could have even gone higher. Now, I'm a golf man, so I really yeah. liked it. But um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of Cameron Smith and that glorious mullet, and oh, especially, the, especially his win geez, at the Open geez, last year. The old course is good, isn't it? Like, oh. you, you know, when they go into the, the old course at St Andrews, it's, it's absolutely special. Mate, um, I've got another stream for this week um, that I'll go through for, for the, uh, the listeners in. So I got, I got word at on this one uh, from one of my one of my mates who was about to hit the road for a long trip up to Mount Isa and he's um, giving me the heads up on The Dig so the, it's an ABC podcast series it's called The Dig and it's The Ringing what do you know about fine cotton mate? not a lot fine cotton like, like, when you think fine cotton you think of you know laying in bed with you know 900 counts of Egyptian laying all over you but fine cotton for me and I'd heard so much about it you know, in terms of little things dripped as I was going, because, you know, Robbie Waterhouse, when he was banned from, you know, banned as a bookie, and then in 2001, when that was overturned, you'd I'd sort of see it as a kid, and I'd go, oh, geez, you know, that's just that gay Waterhouse's husband. You sort of, yeah. you, you didn't think of any, anything of it, but, you know, you speaking with my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and, and those of, of the generation before us, so fine cotton was a big deal, yeah. you know? It was the ringing. So basically, fine cotton, it goes into fine cotton, was a race course uh, that was basically set up as a ring-in and they, they were going to switch fine cotton out and um, switch fine cotton out and put in a, a better race horse, which um, they you know had it all set up and then it just absolutely goes wrong. Um, Hayden Hightana, who was the, the trainer, who was eventually banned for life uh, from the racetrack to, in relation to the issue, he, he was a, a part of it with... Um, with uh, Gillespie, who was who was the the mastermind of it, but you know some of the the stories. It, it, you know the best way to describe it. And I encourage listeners to go out there if you got. You know it's a six hour, eight episode stream, so it's big. But if you just want the forty four minutes touch on it, Peter Hoisted does a really good um, summary podcast on conversations on the ABC as well with it. But it's an absolute pisser. Like it sounds like the best way I could describe the story of Fine Cotton is it's like Chopper, two hands, and the castle all rolled into Ooh, one. So, well. mate, but even like, uh, you remember the Underbelly series, you yeah. know, and, the, and how good they were for Channel 9. A lot of the names that are popping up in the criminal underworld that were involved in this, and they reckon, you know, the fraud squad, the Queensland fraud squad, they all had fine cotton tickets because they were all in on it too. Yeah, right. You know, because all the... Uh, you know, the, the local informants were telling the cops, hey, oh, we've got this guy, we've got this ring in, we're all in. So they're the commissioner's mum, all this. And they reckon, you know, allegedly, they go back, Kerry Packer, they reckon that everyone was involved in this. And, you know, then when it didn't happen, uh, everybody just gave it the long berth, the wide berth, and sort of said, oh, no, no, we had no knowledge, we had nothing to do with it. So, yeah, but it, it really changed racing. And 
it was it was a, a pretty interesting little story that one. But so uh, yeah, so if you're interested in in a in a bit of a podcast series, the ring in uh, the story of fine cotton, it's it's a beauty and um, you know a bit of local flavour for for Coffs Harbour and and areas like that. It, it's 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 pretty intriguing nonetheless. Yeah, and it sounds like if you've got a long drive ahead, pop it on. And as we know, as an endurance athlete myself, um, you know it it helped get me through. Got you there. What about yourself, mate? You got another stream for us? Stream of the week. I have um, popped over to Paramount Plus this week. Yep. And uh, I'm a big Yellowstone fan. Love Yellowstone. Yeah, great. And rip Wheeler, mate. Yep. Oh, Everybody rip. wants to be Rip. Everyone wants to be Rip. Everyone wants that cowboy hat. All the girls want to be Beth. That's right. And because I love Yellowstone so much, I've jumped over onto Paramount Plus because they've got their two um, prequels to it in 1883 and 1923. But... On Paramount Plus, I found the Mayor of Kingstown. Now, the Mayor of Kingstown is actually created by the same uh, creator of the Yellowstone Stone series, Taylor Sheridan. Oh yeah. And Taylor plays a small role in uh, Yellowstone, and um, he's uh, Taylor Sheridan. He's uh, Hale. Out of, Hale. Hale. Hale out of detect- is it Detective or out of, out of um, Sons of Anarchy? Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, Maybe the greatest right. series ever made, Sons of Anarchy. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be a bikey then. Oh, didn't they ever? <laughs> but the Mary Kingstown, uh, set in Michigan, set in a real uh, working class area, and one of the main industries appears to be in the series prisons. And well, once they stop making cars. Well, that's right. And it um, follows uh, Mike McCluskey, played by Jeremy Renner. Yep. And he basically is the Mary Kingstown. He is the peacemaker. So he, he's not the official mayor of Kingstown by any stretch, but he basically works with all the gangs, all the criminal organisations. He works with the guards at the local prisons in order to try and create a a peace and and follows him and his family. His brother was um, started the series um, as the mayor of Kingstown and then he inherits the job and his father was some years before as well. So it's a... So, fantastic watch. Two series. Mayor of Kingstown. Get on the mayor of Kingstown. So um, the Premier League, mate, we're, we'll move back into the sport. So big weekend, we're back. The international break is over. Take a deep breath, you know, soak it in, get the comfy couch. Um, however, what's grabbed me, mate, in the Premier League? Brentford Football Club. And I like Brentford, so for, for any of the punters who are listening, Brentford, they've got a soft spot. I'm a Man United man, but I've got a soft spot for Brentford. You know, Ealing, when I lived in in the UK, Ealing was was my suburb and anybody who knows the the locations there Brentford is very very close um however they've turned up to the match looking like a chocolate freckle on the weekend so as you can imagine the old chocolate freckles think about the chocolate freckle that you know probably your your coffee van or whatever might throw on on your uh, takeaway lid the chocolate might be on the table of the five-year-old's party so they're on the they've turned up with this third kit you know the chocolate freckle but mate it had me thinking straight away, why the, the third kits? You know, like the third kits in football, and we go back to our discussion about manufacturers wanting to sell units, you know, because they've paid for the licensing. But why do they continuously appear to look like a shit shirt night at your local pub? They just can't seem to get it right, can they? <laughs> Have you, can you picture a third kit that has been an absolute winner? I, I, you know, I, they've always been pushing the boundaries with the third kit. 
Yeah, but I, it's got it's got out of control the last few seasons. I remember the first third kit that really sort of. Well, I went. Hold on a second. It was the uh, the Chelsea High Vis 07, uh, 07-08 season, and I remember because I was working on the tools in the UK at the time, in London, and my foreman Nigel, he was a mad Chelsea fan, and he was so excited that he could wear his Chelsea jersey to work and be meeting all the safety requirements as well. So that was the first time I went off. Oh, these are getting a bit out of hand. So the high vis yellow Chelsea kit of 07-08 was the first one. But, mate, I remember United had the leopard skin. I mean, you know, the pink ones are going left, right and centre. What are some of the the jerseys that you think of when you think of just a garbage attempt at trying to sell units? Oh, well, there are many, many out there, and um, I'm straight away drawn back to, to, to rugby league and some of the bludgers that have come through over the years. In fact, I'd love to hear what some of the listeners have... Um uh, what they've seen in yeah, some of the we'll, we'll get a post mentioned. we'll get a post up on Instagram uh, for any of our followers on there and we, we'll put a bit of a collage in there of, of some of the shit shirts that we can come up with but what's the, what's some examples mate oh, what do you well, got the, the very first one I can remember was I think it might have been the late 90s the Broncos the Broncos teal oh the teal <laughs> the teal they played it, they played at Penrith Park with that back oh. in oh it must have been yeah, maybe 98, 98, 99. 98, yeah. 99. Oh, yeah, I, I think it Tony, was... Tony Carroll wearing the teal is what my memory of that, mate. Because I, I remember when I was a kid, I was on the hill. Back then, this was back at Penrith when you could bloody have a game of footy on the hill. Yeah. Because there was no one there. Um, and I just remember it just coming, oh, I thought the Broncos were playing. Yeah. Is that Brad Thorne? Come on. <laughs> Did the Broncos merge with the Hunter Mariners? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, and, and then you go on to some more recent efforts. Um the Manly had an absolute bludger about oh, five or six years ago. You're not talking about the um, the dairy cattle military crossbreed, are you? Oh, it, that's exactly right. It looked like <laughs> someone going for some camouflage gear and rolled in custard. It was just absolute <laughs> shocker. Missed the mark. I'd be surprised if they sold one jersey. But lucky enough, um, we can track down a photo or two. Mate, uh, we'll, we'll get those up. Yeah, so I'm thinking, yeah, the, the turtle was a bludger. From the from the footy, the, the Marvel, mate. What about the oh, Marvel? Oh, the Marvel. Series? Well, the, the Marvel only good series. thing about the Marvel series ones was uh, Manly were wearing Wolverine, and they just dead set looked like a Parramatta kit. So when Kieran Foran switched over the next year to Parramatta, they didn't even have to Photoshop it. Yeah, and and see the only the the, the thing I like about the Marvel with the Wolverine is because you know Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine, he's a Manly man. So well, that is. that's you know that's that's a winner. And I think the only one that came close. Together, yeah, was the Roosters Captain America. Because oh, it was the same colour scheme. That, yeah, that was pretty good. I will give the Broncos Iron Man one uh, a bit of a tick as well. That wasn't too bad. Yeah. And I guess it gets the kids involved a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think we can we can give it a miss though. And, um, you know, talking about uh, manufacturers of that, you know, ISC, they've been absolutely thriving since the Marvel kits. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kick a business while they're down. Oh. Yeah, so um, more on the football, mate. So, yeah, Brentford looking like a chocolate freckle. Um, we'll get some photos up there for you guys and uh, we'll get you to rate your, your shit shirts on the on the kits. Um, Graham Potter, mate, sacked. Gone. The wizardry, the magic of maintaining employment is over. He's, um, yeah, he's run out, of, run out of chances there. But, I mean, come on. Like, it's... A long-term appointment who's lasted six months. I, I you know, I, I can't really unpack that. Um, other than the fact that 
Kukurelia, so I don't know if you call the match on the weekend, but Kukurelia, he's he's the big signing, sixty million pounds. You know, Graham Potter is the manager. You know, he's not the reason that Kukurelia is defending like Daryl in the over thirty fives for mid North Coast. Like it's it was so shit house, like atrocious. You know, I I can't see how a manager. It's it must just be a complete lack of confidence. The players have just lost, you know, they lost the plot, but. Yeah, I don't think... I think that is the part that's unfair for the coach or the manager in those situations, you know, when the players just aren't performing and then it's apparently, you know, the manager's problem or the manager is the easier one to get rid of rather than, you know, spending a, a shitload of money on more players. Yeah, and it's it's across all sports, isn't it? It, it happens all the time. It's very rare for a, a franchise or a club or an organisation to stick with the coach over the players they just seem to and we're talking on. we're talking about a club that spent half a billion pounds on players yeah you know like Todd Bowley's come in you know he's come into the club and he's obviously I think there was an agreement when he purchased the club that there had to be a certain amount of investment you know which is fair enough because if you look at what's happened with Manchester United and the Glazer ownership that's an absolute shit show that's a debacle where they don't spend money you know, if you've purchased a ticket to go and watch Manchester United play, you've put more money into the club than the Glazer family. You know, they're just taking it out and paying dividends. However, Bowley's come in and he's spending money like a bloke from Trigier who's just won the lotto. He's just splashing it on anything. He's, oh, I, you know, yep, he sounds good. I'll, I'll spend 100 on him. Million, that is. Yeah. You know, so I, I just don't get it. Like, um, you know, when you've got... To, when you've got a, a football structure like that, and then you put someone like Graham Potter, who's a you know a proven developmental manager, so he's someone who's going to bring players through. You know, not the highest, you know, the the top echelon players who command a big price, a big contract. He's going to bring players through and make them better. I, I, it just doesn't make sense for me, mate. Who replaces him? Well, I mean the 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 question Nagelsmann's available now because he's been sacked by Bayern. Tuchel's gone to Bayern. Yep. So has the trigger been pulled because Nagelsmann then became available is going to be the big question. But, yeah, I I can't see Bowley going outside of the pretty now. He's had his try. You know, it'd be pretty dumb if he went and then said, oh, well, let's go and get a manager who's up and coming and who can work on a long-term project because, mate, you just had that and you sacked it after six months. So mm. I, I would assume it, it'll be a big name. Um. Also on the sackings, though, Rogers, Brendan Rogers. I mean, he's, you know, been sacked after his Crystal Palace defeat. But, to, I mean, we're talking about a coach who has coached with his hands tied behind his back all year. So you got to feel a bit sorry for him, even though he's an ex-Liverpool manager. And uh, Arsenal, on top? Mate, they're rolling on. Are they going to... Um, mate, the question's got to be asked. And Arsenal fans out there, they're not going to be happy with me asking it. Are they going to do it? Uh... Or is it going to be one of the all-time great... Um, great falls cracks they, they keep winning they keep winning I mean Liverpool were cut to pieces by Man City so Man City are scratching you know at the heels they're, they're coming but Arsenal just keep rolling on you know they, they're looking the goods at the moment and it's the year of the know, Gunners if you're asking me who I prefer I would say that I would prefer Arsenal rather than Man City um, United mate United were they were shit there's enough of that. I'll probably go into that in the in the multi section, mate, because that's that's where my fall from grace was. But um, for yourself, mate, a toffee 
Evans' oh. last-ditch draw against Spurs. What a um, goal. Yeah, it was a cracking goal and a, an unlikely source. Uh, an unlikely source with a, with a worldie there, but uh, every point mattering at the bottom, mate. What do, what do we what do we see? We'll, be, we'll bring up the table for the listeners here. We're, we're just having a look at the table at the moment. There's seven points in the Premier League splitting 20th from 12th. So every point matters. Yeah, and it's it's going to be a pretty unique end to the season and you, you just don't know who's going to go down, who's going to stay up. As a Toffee supporter, um, you know, what are they... They, they were literally in relegation on the live ladder mm-hmm. until they got that goal in the 90th minute. So that's how close it is. It's a big goal. And, and the games, games in hand are going to play a part here. So obviously Everton have played an extra game than those below them other than Southampton who sit on the bottom. Southampton are in some trouble, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so. I Leicester's obviously pulled the trigger on mm. Rogers because they want a reaction. Whether they're going to get that, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, you look at that bottom of that table, and it's anyone's guess who's going down. And yeah. I mean, it leaves it exciting. I mean, City and Arsenal are, are streaking away at the top. Uh, the top four is going to be a decent race. However, United and Newcastle have got the games in hand, so if they can keep winning those, uh, I mean, you'd think that they might they might make out the top four. But um, yeah, the relegation battle is going to be exciting, and it's a it's a costly affair if you get it wrong. Integrity. This is democracy manifest. All right, so moving on, the integrity report. The integrity report. You got something for us? I've mate? got something for you. Something interesting I read the other day on the ABC. Yeah, go for it. So. Paralympic athletes are apparently deliberately exaggerating their impairments in a bid to win medals. Now, this is coming out of a Four Corners investigation on the ABC uh, just last week and quoted the former head of the world governing body for the Paralympics, and that's um, Xavier Gonzalez, uh, who was in the top job for uh, 15 years from 2004 to 2019, has stated that I cannot say that this doesn't exist. It exists. So... What are we talking about? Like, if we're talking about exaggerating impairments, you know, it's got to be a specific... Yeah. ...division. Like, you can't... Like, are we talking intellectual disabilities or are we talking, you know, up an arm, up the jumper? Like, what's going on? Well... For, for a report like this to come out, and the Paralympics is the third biggest event um, in the world, like yeah. generates billions of dollars. So we're looking at um, below the World Cup and the Olympics. Hmm. But it, well, my question to you, mate, with the Olympics arriving in Brisbane in under 10 years now, yeah. could this be a huge problem for world sport or Absolutely. for Australia? It's got to be a problem because, you know, let, let me put my serious hat here on a second. You know, Disabilities are important to recognise, but it's also to people need to be able, or those who are um, competing with a disability need to be given an opportunity to compete at the highest level. Okay? Yep. So it needs to be protected. Let's draw a line through that. Now let's get silly. Okay. If it is a problem, it is not going to be any different to the problems that we have around other areas of sport. You know, we've just, I had my wife 
saying to me the other day about Leah Thomas and how being recognised as female athlete of the year within the NCAA, you know, the fact that, you know, this idea that organisations aren't willing to actually just pull the trigger and say, hey, you know, if you are biologically a female, you compete in female sports. If you are biologically a man, you are eligible to complete, compete in male sports. Okay. Like, so athletics has pulled the trigger on this, though, in the last um, couple of weeks. It needs to be done, though. It needs, and it needs to be, you know, and this is, this is happening across the board. And I think a lot of it is going under, you know, it's going under the radar in the, the lower areas of sport. You know, in the professional realm, it's not really a major issue. Yeah. But when we talk about, so for example, the, the Australian Women's Classic, that was held a golf classic, you know, I mean, there's an allegedly an, an issue there where, you know, the, the winner of that in a playoff was someone who had transitioned, you know, and I think that's grossly unfair. Yeah. I think anybody who, you know, is a true believer in sport and competition would say that that's grossly unfair as well. Yep. And it really breaks down the fabric of sport, you know, the fabric of what, it, what competition is. And, it can be easily fixed by just drawing a line in it and going, no bullshit, we're not going to, you know, this isn't a topic of discussion, this is a line straight through here. Yeah, well, it seems like it's going to be something that comes to a head very soon. It's attracting more attention in um, mainstream sports and mainstream media, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my wife was, you know, when we were speaking about it, she was saying, oh, you know, Leah Thomas, you know, it was such a close... You know, and it's impacting the other athletes, and it was such a close decision. Like, I mean, they both they both touched the wall essentially at the same time, and you know, it, you know what the difference is. And I mean, you can't even, you know, it, there was no bees dick in it; it was a real dick. Yeah. <laughs> and, but uh, you know, it, and in the you know, going back to the the golf and the the issue there, I mean. I think the only way that I would probably go, you know what, I'm okay with it, is if you're a if you're a male athlete competing in female events, and especially golf, if you were to then sink the winning part and then proceed to teabag the 18th hole, I'd be okay with it. I think I could let it pass. <laughs> if you then just went, you know what, or even the old school DX suck it oh. to, the, to the gallery. Just give it the old oh. and just own it. Isn't wrestling coming in in this afternoon? Oh, mate, I love it. So, um, you know, I mean, it's in the fair nigga, and I, I'm very, very, you know, I, I get quite, uh, quite serious about it. I, I think it's, you know, like with anything in this world, you've got to be clear. Mm. And you've got to go, hey, this, this, there's no bullshit here. Yes, we all know that we live in a segregated society and people have different ideas and understandings of different things. However, when it comes to something like sport, you've got to draw a line somewhere. Draw it as clear through the middle and go, if you, you know, feel as though that you're mashing in the middle of that Venn diagram, unfortunately, that's, that's, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. And when it comes to going back to your point on, on disabilities, I think there's got to be clear lines on where you fit and what div- you know, in what division that you meet because that's important for those people. Using sport as a way of expressing themselves despite having a disability. It's so important. Yep. 
Agreed. All right. Um, moving on to other sports, mate. Well, what a week, the Masters. Who doesn't Masters, love Masters hey, week? We're on here. Can you give us your tip? Who's your tip for the Masters? Mates, um, Rambo. Rambo. Johnny Ram. Yeah. He would have to be my, my top pick. Um, or Scotty Scheffler, maybe for a double. They'd be my two picks. Um, however, however, the Live Boys. The Live Boys. The Live Boys. Oh, they just love it, don't they? Mate, and I'm, I'm going to uh, share some quotes here from Greg Norman, the leader of the Live Boys. Okay. Um, Greg Norman has, has made a, a statement in relation to the Masters and the fact that the Live Boys are allowed to play. And he, uh, he says, I compliment the Masters on letting the players play because now they have got the best field and they're actually now the true Super Bowl. But if I'm the Masters right now, I would want on Sunday DJ Brooks or Cam, any of my guys against Rory and John Rahm. Okay, so sort of setting up a big... You know, Raw versus SmackDown, sticking with the wrestling, so that idea of, you know, the TV ratings, and that's what Liv's about. It's all about, you know, the fans and the TV ratings. So Greg goes on to go, uh, goes on to say, not goes on to go. Uh, Can you imagine what the TV ratings would be like? It's what people want, it's what TV wants. The ratings will be far higher than any other ratings if you've got Rory playing one of our guys, those guys being the Liv group. What are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, well, it's certainly bringing a new level of um, excitement and publicity to the um, Masters, isn't it? Not that the Masters isn't it, its own beast in itself. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, oh, look, we, we spoke about uh, Live a little bit last week, and we spoke about the fact that we think they'll eventually come to a little bit of common ground, but I, I love the theatre of it. I, I, I love the theatre of it. I, it I gets love better, it. though, mate. It gets better. Well, yeah, The statement's later. not over. Let me jump to the next part. There's talk in our teams around here. This is Greg Norman still speaking. There are 18 of us live guys at Augusta, and if one of the guys, no matter who it is, wins, it's going to be all in on the 18th green. They are going all in to be there, and it gives me goosebumps to think about it. I don't know about you, mate, but this sounds very similar to a Donald Trump call to storm the Capitol. <laughs> the Live Boys, if they get up, they're going to storm the Capitol, that Capitol being the 18th. What do you reckon, mate? How good would that be? Oh, it'd be fantastic. And it's really creating an us versus them sort of scenario, isn't it? That's so. what they want. That's, what, uh, that's sports, you know, the whole idea of the teams. That's what they're, they're going for with the Live. And, you know, it's, it's good theatre. I mean, the other question that we'd ask is, let's say they storm, storm the 18th. Cam, Cam Smith gets up. Ripper. We win, Aussie fans. Live wins. Happy days. Yeah, Rory's going to be absolutely gutted, but you know I like Rory, but yeah, it's okay. Is so they're all packed in on the 18th hole. Is there going to be a random South jersey there? There has to be. There has <laughs> is to there be. going to be? Is random South guy? I mean, he he turned up at the Capitol. Is random was. South guy? You know, is there? He was at WrestleMania the other day. Oh, mate, it just everywhere. I mean, the only one better than that was the, uh, I think it was the 96 Super Bowl. One of the cameramen was wearing the Australia A jersey. That oh, was, that's, that was, that's that the was pinnacle. The that's the absolute that pinnacle. That was a ripper. So, mate, it's plenty of theatre on the, on, the, uh, on the Masters, mate, and it's something to look out for. You know, the Clash live versus, um, versus the, the traditionalists of the PGA or, you know, those who, 
you know, have the legacy, yeah. as they as they say. So, uh, yeah, that's something to look for, mate. What do you reckon? Who you got? Oh, the romantic in me hopes that Jason Day can pull out um, the old clubs and do something special. And I'd love to see Cameron Smith win it um, from an Aussie perspective. But Johnny Rahm was my tip as well. He's won three tournaments this year. He's yeah, in he's red-hot in form and he's due, isn't he? So, Johnny Rahm for me. Rambo. Rambo for both of us. Um, yeah, but... We'll see how it plays out. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be good viewing regardless, mate. So, a um, bit of AFL, mate. What do you got? Moving on to fight talk. Uh, <laughs> big, big news in the uh, in the uh, the world of of combat sports, mate. The WWE has been acquired by WME. So, William Morris Endeavor. Do you, what do you know about William Morris Endeavor, mate? Oh, you a big fan of Entourage. Big fan of Entourage. Big fan of Entourage. So for those of you who have watched the TV series Entourage and understand who Ari Gold is, the owner or, you know, top dog of William Morris Endeavour is Ari Emanuel. So that is the character which Ari Gold is built off. So there's a bit of a bit of a clash in there for you guys so you know who we're dealing with when it comes to uh, the acquisition of not only the UFC a couple of years ago, but now the acquisition of the WWE. They're both in under the same ownership now. So we've for many years, people have said, oh, well, you know, WWE and UFC are competing against each other. We've sort of seen that merge and the lines get blurred there recently in the last sort of five to ten years. But they're in the same family now. They're in the same house. What do you think, mate? Oh, I think it's exciting. I think the, the cross-promotional work that could be done, some of the stars that you might be seeing on both screens. I We're already they're... seeing it, though. So I, I come across a post today, I, I believe it was Ariel Hawani, who's uh, a fantastic uh, a journalist in the fight game. He um, he shared, so Paul Heyman and Conor McGregor are already going at it. So, I mean, bring it on. It's going to be some good shit outery. Yeah, and uh, it brings you to... Your imagination starts to fly, doesn't it? You start to think about what could some of the cross-promotional matches be, the mat- match-ups of a lifetime. You haven't stuff. come, you haven't come in, here, in here unprepared, mate. What do you got? You, oh. you've got what do you got for me? You, you, you've, you've loaded that up. What do we got? Oh well, dream matchups. Randy Couture, yep. the old boys. Randy Couture. So we're going for a legends match, yeah. Yep. Versus the Olympic gold medalist Kurt Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle. Well, I think that could be something special. Now both of them probably struggle to warm up these days. They're they're, they're in their uh, vintage years, but mate, like, oh, mate, that'd be stiffer than a pilot ad. That. That could be. That could be. I mean, Kurt Angle won the Olympics with a broken freaking neck. So. And and pilot, um, we're looking for sponsors. If you want to jump on board, get on board. Get on board. And uh, then of course, um, you know bring up Wrestlemania again they went Hollywood that was their uh, catchphrase last week for those listeners out there yep. why couldn't we go Hollywood here The Rock versus Jake Gyllenhaal I mean we I saw, you, we saw you. Jake Gyllenhaal looked pretty good they're obviously filming scenes for Roadhouse the other at the UFC um, the other week he looked pretty good yeah yeah I, I reckon he'd be pretty quick for The Rock yeah pretty, pretty quick he'd be but if The Rock got a hold of him and gave him the old rock bottom oh Mate, absolutely. And, you know, it just depends on what type of mindset The Rock's coming in. You know, the way he spoke about the Samoan rugby league team that he obviously had no idea about (laughs) last year prior to the World Cup final, the rugby. Um, You know, if he's coming in with that mana, as I think they call it, um, you know, 
he, he would be unstoppable for Jake Gyllenhaal, you'd think. You'd have to think so, but it'd be something that I'd pay to see. Absolutely. What else? Any any other ones? Oh no, that was all from me, mate. But I, I reckon you're um, been across this. I reckon as a big UFC fan, as a big combat spotting fan, you've got a uh, fighting fan. You've got something for me. Absolutely, and and I love the I love the wrestling too. And and I don't love it because I would like to stand in the crowd with a cardboard poster holding up my favourite Steve Austin quote. I love it because wrestling. I love it because wrestling's funny. It and is. and it's even funnier watching grown men sit in the crowd just like woo girls. That's even better. <laughs> but uh, mate, I've I've had a deep dive in this. I've gone in. So a legitimate fight. Let's go in, and I'm going to mix up the the situation within the match. Okay, so we're going to go. We're going to go hybrid WWE versus hybrid UFC. UFC cage, MMA rules. Gable Stevenson versus Cyril Garn. We're going old school UFC one. So for the punters at home, Gable Stevenson is an Olympic gold medalist wrestler who is now in the WWE. So recently won at the Tokyo Games. Absolute weapon of a heavyweight wrestler. Versus Cyril Garn. Now that is, you know, throwback to UFC 1. Cyril Garn could possibly come out with the one boxing glove versus oh. Gable Stevenson. But I tell you what, as soon as Gable got him down, Cyril would be in a world of trouble. So that would be my first matchup. Second one, Logan Paul versus Ronda Rousey. Ooh. The views. Imagine the views on Logan Paul versus Ronda Rousey. However, we're going to up the stakes. Hardcore oh. Hell in a Cell match. Wow. Righto. Yep. Hardcore. Made famous by uh, The Undertaker, The Hell in a Cell. Mick Foley. Mick, Mick Foley. Foley. Throwing Absolutely. Off the hell in a cell. Get the thumbtacks out. Get the thumbtacks out, ladies and gentlemen. Logan Paul versus Ronda Rousey. He's made Hardcore. a pretty good name for himself, Logan Paul, over in the WWE yeah, as well. He's he's good. He's a he's a fantastic content producer, and um, he's very very entertaining. He's quite athletic. So. An athlete. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't go past the Battle of Ireland, mate. Oh yes. Sheamus versus Conor McGregor. Oh, that'd be a bar fight. So rather, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Rather than do it in the UFC cage or the WWF ring. Let's do it at the Iron Forge. Let's do it at Conor McGregor's pub and winner takes all. Winner gets the pub. A barroom brawl. Barroom brawl. And, you know... And obviously no holes barred in a barroom brawl. Absolutely. Bring your buddies. So, um, yeah, so the Battle of, Battle of Ireland. So who is the true king of Ireland? Seamus versus Conor McGregor. But, you know, on the topic of Conor McGregor. Cross-promoting the UFC. So we have trouble trying to find matchups for someone like Conor McGregor. Everybody wants that big money fight. Yep. If you want that big money fight with Conor McGregor, often termed red panty night, you've got to earn it. Instead of the money in the bank, where you've got to climb up the ladder to get the money in the bank, let's hang some red panties. Oh. From the roof, and you've got to climb up the ladder if you are a, a good old UFC. If you are a UFC contender, you're going to start. It's it's no holds bar UFC rules. You've got to try and get up the ladder, and if you get a hold of the red panties, you get the next UFC matchup pay per view with Conor McGregor. What do you think of that one, mate? Mate, I love it. I love it. I think it's all systems go. I think it's just going to be an absolute winner. I've got one more for you. Come on. So this one is the, the main one, event. This is the main event. This is the one where I get really, really serious, and I think let's demonstrate the differences between the two sports, and let's have a true cross promotion. 
UFC female strawweight, Zhang Weili versus Roman Reigns. Oh. In the octagon. In the octagon. In the octagon. Who wins? Oh, well. Legitimate fight, UFC MMA rules. Who's Who your tip? Wins? Who's your tip? I think Roman Reigns is in trouble. He's <laughs> in a world of hurt. Number one, he's got to catch Zhang Weili. But then when he does catch her, he's got to avoid getting beaten up by a 100-pound strawweight woman. Well, it'd certainly be good viewing, wouldn't it? It would be. And the, imagine the pressure on Roman Reigns, because if he gets his ass handed to him by a miniature Chinese lady in the middle of an octagon, oh, it's well. a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Things go south for him real quick. It, it would be the, the biggest beatdown since somebody stole a baguette from the Vietnamese bakery in La Kemba back in 1994. It would be a real problem, mate. But um, on the serious stuff, mate, that's excellent news, obviously for fans. Um, you know, the cross-promotion, it's going to be entertaining. Uh, but jumping to UFC 288 this week, um, Israel Adestanya versus uh, Pereira. So it's going to be a big game, a big fight, a rematch. Um, Pereira is the current champion. He ended up stopping Israel in the fifth round of their last fight. Um, not a big... You know, the stats don't fit... You know, don't look kindly on a challenger who has lost their title who then gets an immediate rematch. I, th- I believe it is uh, 20, 27 out of the last 30. Yeah, times. well, that's not, not the, good. Uh, the current champion holds on to the title. Yeah, right. So I could be pulling that out of my arsehole, but... I would think that it's pretty close to that. Oh, I've yeah. heard it somewhere. Okay, who wins and why? Or um, how? It depends. If we get to the weigh-in and Israel Adesanya turns up with a wrestling singlet on, even though, <laughs> even though he's only just a little bit better than, uh, than Pereira in terms of his wrestling as such, um, yeah, that would be a good laugh. But yeah. yeah, look, I, I think it could be anyone's game there. I think Israel's got the got the game plan and the tools to do it and go against the grain on that. But um, yeah, look, it, it's it's going to be an interesting one to tune in. If um, if Pereira can, can push the pace and get in Israel's face and make it dirty, I think it could be a bad night for Israel. But, you know, I think if I was putting money on it, Israel to eke out a decision... Um, I, that's where I'd go with that and it could be ugly it could be a lot of grappling and it could be Israel just going look I'm going to get this guy in, in my rear view however um, also on the card we've got Gilbert Burns versus Street Jesus Jorge Masvidal yep. so one of Kimbo's old uh, Kimbo's backyard brawlers um, big fight This that's going to be a, a classic mate it's going to be an absolute ripper just due to the fact that we've got two guys who are just going to go at each other. Um, Gilbert Burns, he's you know he's obviously grappling's his his forte. Yep. He's a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I believe, world champion. Um, regardless, that that is where he he thrives. But he's he's you know he's been no mug on the feet recently, and he's challenged for the world title. He's willing to stand there and trade with guys, and and he hits hard. So. If you uh, if you want your huckleberry, you got it in Jorge Masvidal, mate. That's for sure. Yeah. Is there any of these uh, these fights that that grab you? Oh, mate, as we spoke about last week, the uh, UFC probably isn't my strong suit. But um, do you want me to give you someone? Give me someone. 
Raul Rosas, Rosas Jr. He looks like he's been in a few fights. He does. He does. I he believe looks like Rahul. He's been kicking face. Rahul. He's he's the new buck on the town. Eighteen years of age, mate. Wow. So there was a bit of um, if we look at the prelim card, there was a bit of uh, a bit of a kick up when you've got you know you know top level professionals such as Kelvin Gastelum and Michelle Waters, uh, Waterson fighting on the on the prelims. However, they've been kicked for. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr. And the reason is because they're, they're trying to get some traction beyond this kid. 7-0, and he's coming in with a lot of hype. Um, Christian Rodriguez, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a kind fight to him. Yep. Um, however, it'd be interesting to see see how he goes. Um, and obviously it's about getting some eyeballs on, on this young kid coming through. But 18 years of age, you know, it's a lot to ask. And yeah, it'd be... That it'd is be, so young. Very interesting, mate. Kevin Holland uh, versus Santiago Ponzinibbio is going to be another one. Both guys like to stand and fight. Um, Kevin Holland's a pretty crafty uh, and technical striker. Um, I think he, he can probably uh, probably see off Ponzinibbio here if he keeps his distance. So, um, yeah, but some good fights, mate, coming up. And uh, I'm going to set you a bit of homework, mate, as we do. Give me it. Watch the fights. Watch the fights. Watch the fights. Sunday, we'll get you get you onto the fights, and then we'll will be interesting to see what your uh, what your feedback is in next week, mate. That's my job. All right, I'll as bring a, I'll bring in a report card. As a uh, as a member of the the sports detention, mate, your punishment is watching the fights and come back with a detailed analysis of the fights next week. Done. All right. So um, the multis last week, mate. Oh. <laughs> The multis, how'd we go? Apologies out there to anyone who followed us into the the abyss that we dug ourselves. But look, um look, um Look, I'm gonna like like any degenerate gambler, I'm gonna go in first with the fact that I had a win. You had a win. I had a win on the multi. Actually I had Dragons thirteen plus. I had Ben Hunt and Tyrell Sloan anytime try scorer paying fifteen dollars sixty, ten bucks on it, and I bought home the bacon. Well that is the that is a good win. But the problem is, when it comes to the third three-legged multi of the week for the podcast, I've had an absolute bludger. Oh. <laughs> Mate, Manchester United to win, Bruno Fernandes to score above 2.5 goals, zero from three, absolute bludger. Newcastle, well worth their victory, played us off the park, 2-0 win to Newcastle. All done. And end of story on that shit house. Oh mate, what about yourself, mate? I was only one better. I, I, I won from three. Campbell Graham's picked up a try for me in any South Sydney versus Melbourne clash. I thought South Sydney. I know they've got an atrocious record against Melbourne, but yeah. I thought they were specials to win. I that. tipped them, and uh, I, even at the end, I thought AJ Alex Johnson. He was going over in the corner, and that that was going to lead to a comeback, and I was going to be draped in glory. But alas, decided to knock himself out instead, which just... Mate, that was... Look, there's a scene in Cocaine Bear that I talked about where Ranger Liz comes out the back of the ambulance and her head hits the the road and she comes to an abrupt halt with her face stopping her. That was what reminded me of that. Oh. Alex Johnson <laughs> hitting the turf and then you see him with the trainer sort of like stretching his face out and you could just see the greys on his head yeah. and anyone who's had... It, 
a decent cooch yes. burn on their head like that. It is an absolute bludger. Yeah, that was stinging in the morning when he woke up and oh, his head was stuck man. to his pillow. But anyway, so he's ended up going off because of <laughs> he, he stopped his momentum with his forehead. Um, yeah, that's... And he's dropped the ball and dumped him up again. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, so no good on the multis for us, but we'll have a crack again this week. So... Um, yeah, get on the on the Instagram page. Uh, we'll put it up there. We'll we'll also share that through to through to Twitter at Sports Detention. So check us out, mate. Um, we'll get some new ones up there. But I've had a tip. Got a tip for I've me. I've had a tip. I've had a tip from the multi mystic from Mount Isa. He's actually sent me through the mullet multi for the Masters. The mullet multi. The mullet intrigued. Mul- the mullet multi for the Masters. And I don't know if I'm, I'm quoting him correctly, but I, I'm going along the lines of this. So we go for the leader of the mullet pack, Cam Smith. He wins. Min Wu Lee. Bit of mullet hanging out the back there. Yeah, Another it certainly Aussie. is. It's quite a stylish mullet. Min Wu Lee to make the cut. Yeah, and right. The, the big earner. The big earner on this, which is really going to multiply your odds. Can't see him. Here we go. But the mullet multi, well... Harrison Crowe, here we go. Harry Crowe. The final Aussie, the amateur, Harrison Crowe. That is a glorious mullet. That is the third leg of the mullet multi. Yep. So mullet multi being... Cam Smith to win. Lee, Crowe, make the cut. Yep. Get on it. That'd pay handsomely, I'd imagine. Absolutely, and it probably won't come in. Well, <laughs> then that I'll be in the same spot I was last week. All right, mate. So, penis of the week. Oh, what well, do you got? penis of the week. That'll finish us up. Winding it up, I couldn't go past. Saw in the news this week, former Zimbabwean cricketer Murray Goodwin, who's found himself living uh, in Perth. Or yep. in Western Australia, like a uh, lot of people from that area of the of the world, certainly don't, don't mind Perth. Playing down at Bunbury Recreational Ground in Western Australia, he has gotten out, been dismissed, and he's yep. decided to assault the wicketkeeper with his bat. He's jabbed him with his bat, and he. This is the grand final. He's copped a sixteen week suspension. This is a bloke who's scored centuries, three of them, in fact, I think, for his country. What, Played what, test cricket. What was the point? So he's just playing a bit of local cricket. Just not local grade, grade, cricket. Just, grade cricket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah he's decided to jab someone with the bat. He has. He hasn't. He hasn't liked the decision, or he hasn't liked a bit of chat. Lucky Tim Payne wasn't beyond the stumps. Timmy Payne liked a good chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a penis. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> I thought, how do you go from raising the bat for yeah, a you century? Got, yeah, you've got to know your levels. You know, if you've gone from raising your bat, like you said, for a century to jabbing your bat towards some, you know, poor bloke behind the stumps in grade cricket in the chin, you're a penis. Yeah, you're a penis. Something has gone awry for you. Absolutely, mate. I've... What about you, mate? What have you got for me? <sighs> I can't go past Todd Bowley, mate. The owner or the co-owner. It's a, he's now. I, I've noticed he started to be labelled the co-owner of Chelsea because they're starting to, you know, incorporate how shit they are. They're spreading the the love of shitness around all the different investors in the club. However, Todd Bowley, he's the one who is pulling the strings at Chelsea to employ Graham Potter for a long-term project and then give up on that long-term project after six months. You are a penis. Spending half a billion pounds on players and giving them eight-year deals and trying to 
amortise the contracts to beat final financial fair play while still running in the bottom half of the table. You're a penis. Oh, penis well. of the week. Todd Bailey, stick with your guy. If you if you got the if you've got the guts to sack Surely a champions more than six league, months. Yeah, if you've got the guts to sack a Champions League winning manager in Tommy Tuchel, and then you put Graham Potter, a long term developmental manager in there, and then you haven't got the nuts to keep on to him after six months, then you're a penis. Well deserved, I'd say, that award. Absolutely, mate. So that wraps us up for episode two. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um I, I love doing this, so we're going to keep going. Um, to any of our listeners, uh, get us on your all the podcast platforms. Get into the social media at Sports Detention. Um, you know, get into the chatter with us. Thanks, Grego. Great fun. Absolutely, and uh, you know we'll have a another episode up and firing for us next week. See you all then. So for all of our listeners in Wagga Wagga, we say good night. <laughs>